You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Hello, I'm Joshua Whiteside, Senior Counsel from Lozano Smith's San Luis Obispo office. Welcome back to the Lozano Smith podcast. We've got another exciting topic here for you today and one that I know very little about, which is good. Um, we get to learn from a fellow experts um, from our firm here on this issue of housing um, in our great state of California. So first with me today is Jennifer Thompson. Hi, Jen. Hi, Josh. I am uh, Jennifer Thompson. I work in the San Luis Obispo office with Josh. Um, I primarily practice municipal law, but I also do some facilities and business work for um, some of our school district clients. Excellent. And also today with us uh, is Kevin Serrano. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Josh. Uh, I'm an attorney here, Lazana Smith. I am born and raised in Monterey County, and I am practicing municipal and facilities and business. Excellent. Well, uh, you know, we've been talking, you know, behind the scenes about how we're going to approach this podcast. And I think, you know, really, we want to talk uh, sort of, you know, from the starting point of uh, building the blocks of our understanding of, of uh, these new housing laws that are coming forward and what we need to learn. So, uh, Jen, why don't you help us uh, start building those blocks? What, what is going on in California with housing? Sure. So, um, you know, the, there are many, many new housing laws in California, and today we're going to focus primarily on the accessory dwelling unit or ADU laws. Um, really, I think we all know that housing in California is quite expensive, and for that reason, it's unaffordable to a lot of people. Um, and one of the reasons for that is really there's just not enough supply for the demand. So there aren't enough houses for the people who want them. I mean, this is for both houses for purchase and houses or apartments for rent. Um, and so California legislature has recognized this um, and they are doing what they can to increase the supply of homes. And one of the ways they've done this is implement some new ADU laws. Um, so, so Jen, you mentioned ADU laws. What, what are those? Well, I guess I'll start by explaining what is an ADU. Um, it's, like I said, an accessory dwelling unit. And what it is, is a, it's a secondary dwelling unit on the same parcel as a primary dwelling unit. So a lot of times we call these granny units. Um, sometimes they're called casitas. But it's just another little house on the same parcel as an existing or another house that's being built at the same time. And, well, as someone who had a mother-in-law stay with him, while uh, for about a year, uh, while my young children were growing up, I would have loved a casita. I would have loved a, an, an accessory dwelling unit. Uh, okay, so what about parking? Like I imagine with an ADU, that's going to lead to more people and more cars potentially uh, in the in these neighborhoods. Uh, what are the rules for parking, Kevin? Yeah, that's clearly an, that was an issue with the legislature, but they have provided guidance and stated that local agents should not impose ADU parking standards for certain instances. Those instances may include when the ADU is within one and a half miles of walking distance of the public transit, if the unit is in a historical or architecturally significant district, where ADUs are part of a proposed or the existing primary residence or an ADU accessory structure, or when on-parking permits are required but not offered to the occupant, and when there's a car share location within one block of the ADU. All these are examples for uh, 
addressing the need of parking, but also understanding that the increased population has other means of transportation. Another parking requirement is the ADU should not exceed one parking space per unit or bedroom, whichever is less. These spaces may be provided as tandem parking on a driveway. Guest parking spaces generally should not be for ADU under any circumstances. Uh, so all these are different examples of how uh, parking standards are intertwined with the new ADU laws. So our clients and other local agencies are seeing some significant issues related to the inability for them to require additional parking for ADUs. So for example, uh, a city can't require uh, a person who's building an ADU to, to require additional parking, meaning the people living in the ADU have nowhere to park. And so they're parking on the streets and this is con creating congestion on streets really with no ability for the, the local agencies to, to regulate um, that congestion. And so there's often complaints to the city council that, um, you know, and, and mostly from citizens or residents that just don't understand that the city can't do anything about it. That's a good point, right? Because like you've got this process for homeowners to, to apply and potentially <laughs> complain about their own inquiry, but um, there's not really contemplation, it seems like. I mean, it just seems like it's just going to use your normal public comment and other means of how to control, you know, upset members of the public. Right. Um, if they're upset about the change in the demographics or the, the nature of their neighborhoods as a result of these laws. Yeah, and residents just don't always understand that the city and the governing board have very little ability to do anything about it. Wow, interesting. Well, I guess related to that, Kevin, um, are there any rules on lot size re requirements, a certain size that a lot has to be to have an ADU or um, size of the unit? Yes, Josh. So cities may establish minimum and maximum unit size requirements for both attached and detached ADUs. However, maximum unit size requirements must allow an ADU of at least 850 square feet or a thousand square feet for ADUs with more than one bedroom. Josh, I would also add that there's certain cities, for example, um, city of Los Angeles who are in need of, of more housing units and cities like those have provided their residents opportunities to, to build up as well as to just a single bedroom. So there's a lot of fascinating areas about um, unit size, but it, those changes can be found in the local ordinances. Yeah. So you know, one of the things that the legislature has said is that local governments can impose certain development standards on ADUs, but those standards are not allowed to include a minimum lot size, um, which is interesting if you think about it. Um, if you can build an ADU on any lot size, that ADU can be infinitely small <laughs> because it is the, because cities and local agencies are allowed to say how far away from the property lines that that ADU can be. So um, I guess you can build a tiny, tiny home so, on so any can, lot. So it can be for my my aunt and uncle, and it can be for an aunt. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so, okay, so it sounds like by ordinance, they can establish these minimum and maximum unit size requirements, but not for the, the minimum lot size requirement. Is that a good summary of what you all talked about? 
That's right. And I would just add that the legislature, the state laws sets forth certain requirements and the local agencies are always allowed to allow more. Um, so, for example, the legislature says, as Kevin mentioned, that you can uh, you have to allow an ADU of at least 850 square feet. But if a local agency wants to allow ADUs that are 3000 square feet, they're <laughs> perfectly allowed to do that. OK. OK, so that that's what an ADU is. Um, but how would how would an ADU get approved? Well, I think it's important to know that ADUs can only be approved using objective written standards. And what that means is a city will have ordinances that set forth, for example, setbacks, how close an ADU can be to a parcel line. Um, they'll have design standards that'll cover things like the pitch of the roof or the, the color of the, the facade or different things like that. Um, and those, as long as they're written and not open to interpretation are objective standards. And those are the only types of standards that staff can apply to the application. Meaning they can't say, eh, I think it's ugly. I'm not going to approve this one. They're only allowed to use those things that are those requirements that are already in place. Is there a timeline for how long the city has to review these applications? There are. So the city has 60 days to approve an ADU application. And if they don't, or if they don't provide feedback to the applicant as to why it's not approved, um, it will be deemed by uh, approved by right. So meaning the city will no longer have the ability to deny the application. So they really do have to work within a short amount of time. And I'm assuming once that determination is made, the homeowner, if they're really upset with the determination about their lovely ADU that they've got planned in the, or already maybe struck the ground with the shovel, um, is there some appeal process? There would be. So that, that's typically contained in a city or county ordinance. Um, so staff may make a determination um, and then they can often appeal that to either the planning commission or the city council, just depending on the particular city. So I imagine that in places where there's like homeowners associations, they probably could like set pretty strict rules regarding whether or not ADUs exist in their neighborhood or not. Or am I off on that? Well, that is a good question. Um, for the most part, you know, there is there is very little ability for local agencies, so cities, counties, um, and then also organizations like HOAs to restrict the building of ADUs. So I think that's some important background is that, you know, the, the purpose of these ADUs is to increase housing supply so that there's more available housing for people all, all across the state. And that increase in supply makes that housing more affordable. And so to facilitate the construction of ADUs, the state has really limited city and county's abilities to um, regulate these. And, and that includes the ability of an HOA to say, no, you may not build an ADU in this homeowners association. Well, that seems um, maybe a little bit shocking, right? Because... Normally, our, our cities, you know, they pass ordinances and um, and they want to control the stream and, and popula of population to their city, potentially. Um, is there some pushback that, that cities have had to the this sort of uh, increase uh, or, or sort of deregulation or lack of regulation for ADUs? I mean, yes and no. I think many of our, our city clients recognize the need for affordable housing, and they do want to provide that for their residents. Um, but that being said, they have very little ability to restrict what's actually constructed. So, for example, um, 
you know, a, a city or county might have particular regulations like you alluded to related, you know, certain ordinances that would say you can only construct an ADU um, if it's under a certain square footage or if it's a particular distance from the property line. And state law really preempts those ordinances and tells cities and counties what they can and can't require. So they say you can't if someone wants to build an ADU five feet from the parcel line you have to allow them to do that. If someone wants to build a an ADU that's 800 square feet, you have to allow them to do that. I mean, there are exceptions, but it really has taken away a lot of, of city and county's ability to regulate these. Well, there must be a trade-off then. So, so Kevin, what are the benefits of an ADU to the community, to the city? The benefits are that housing is available to a population that otherwise would be... It, unable to afford housing in the area. Um, as we mentioned earlier, this includes students, family members, elderly community, or others trying to have an opportunity to work in a different area of uh, the local state. For example, there's rich markets where jobs are concentrated. However, the issue is many workers are unable to live in that area. Uh, as a consequence, the, the, the economy is driven by supply and demand issues. The benefit is that a new supply of housing is created by these accessory dwelling units. And so are there any fees that um, have to be changed as a result of this? Like, are there reduced fees for homeowners that want to implement these ADUs? Yeah, so one of the biggest fees that um, that people pay when they, they construct a new dwelling unit are are impact fees. And these are fees that the developer pays to the city for the impact of their development on the city's infrastructure. Um, And state law does not allow cities to charge impact fees for ADUs if the ADU is under a certain square footage. Um, And so so it does make the construction of the ADU itself much more affordable um, because they're not paying these impact fees, which, which are often in the tens of thousands of dollars. Right, because normally, like the, these impact fees are for developers who are making these huge tracts of homes, um, whereas these ADUs, I think it's contemplated by the legislature. It seems like, at least, that these would be things that would be maybe created by a specific homeowner, not necessarily like a a large landowner that is selling multiple homes. This is someone who's already purchased a home, already purchased a piece of property, and is just building an additional unit. Is that a fair assessment? It is. I mean, I would say that there is an impact of any additional residents in a community because those residents are going to use the roads or going to use the water system. Um, But the legislature has weighed the cost and benefit um, and has decided that creating more affordable housing is more important. I would add that that cities and counties do have some ability to deny an ADU if it would create a health or safety issue. Um, And so, for example, I was talking to a client just this morning before this podcast who is having significant issues with their wastewater treatment plant. So their wastewater treatment plant really is at capacity and can't can't accept more wastewater. And so the building of dwelling units just without without city oversight would really create a, a health issue at their wastewater treatment plant. So we're going to discuss how they can go about not approving ADUs, um, but it really does have to be something significant that would create a real uh, health or safety issue. 
Right. Okay. So it certainly provides new meaning to the phrase, there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> um, so with regards to the, the zoning aspect, um, it seems like there has to be some like findings of fact or something like that, that a city would have to make to declare like, hey, no more ADUs in the city. Um, and But do you have to go to the city to get approval to even build it? Like how would they, how would they like, communicate to the to the community like hey we're at capacity here you cannot build these units i mean is that just like newspaper notice or notices to the homeowners how would that go about well that's something that i need to research for this client that I was just, <laughs> <laughs> just discussing but i do think it's going to take some more formal action than just staff telling someone no you may not build an adu because we're having these wastewater treatment issues um, i do think they're going to have to take some more formal action by the city council um, and even perhaps report that to the um, HCD, which is the Department of Housing and Community Development. And Josh, I would just add too that the general framework, the ADs must be approved within 60 days of a complete application. Uh, and that's the letter of law. But what often happens is some cities are just overworked or to have too many applications on their file. And they may not approve an application simply because uh, they're unable to do the due diligence. Uh, the legislature has provided guidance to to require cities to provide a reason for why an application may not be approved. Uh, this is all to really provide the public with an opportunity to fix any errors and to uh, ultimately know why or how their application is being processed. So maybe I'm asking a question that might be beyond the scope of, of um, what, what you guys do and what you guys know about this issue. But for these ADUs, I imagine that, um, you know, most of the time homeowners are going to be renting or selling this, this building or this, this property uh, to someone that they know um, rather than maybe to like a complete stranger and like giving up that part of land. I mean, it seems like this is, primarily designed for like rental purposes for for close friends and family but could could this adu unit be um used by some maybe a stranger maybe even by a family member for a purpose other than residential use like say it's like a like an office space that is uh being utilized by someone who's doing like a work from home type situation and, uh, but maybe it's not actually work from home, it's work from the office in mom's backyard. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, Josh. And the primary purpose of these ADUs is to provide housing. Uh, where it gets a bit trickier, in, especially in this day and age where a lot of our population works from home or has an option to work remotely, uh, that's really gonna come down to an application of the local zoning laws. For example, there's home occupation standards in each municipal code or charter. Uh, so to, to answer that question, you really have to do a fact-specific analysis into that particular city or county. So, Jen, it sounds like there yeah, there are some like aspects of the zoning that, although they can't necessarily stop the ADU, they can maybe stop potential uses or mixed uses of the ADU. Is that fair? Yeah, it is. And from the get-go, when an ADU is approved by a city, it does have to be a fully contained dwelling unit. So it has to have a kitchen, it has to have a bathroom, and so it can't really be built for commercial use. Um, once it's built, um, you know, it would be difficult for a city or county to 
determine what's going on inside. <laughs> so I can't say that no one could use it as an office space. Um, they can, cities can place restrictions on the term of rental. So for example, they can say that a rent, uh, an ADU has to be rented for a minimum of 30 days. And this would be to avoid it becoming something like an Airbnb or a VRBO. Um, and, and again, that's just to facilitate the whole purpose of ADUs, which is to provide permanent, affordable housing for people. Uh, Kevin, any other uh, salient points you want to make about uh, the, this change in housing law? Josh, to answer your question, there's a lot of it, new exciting legislature coming up with ADU laws that how the, the properties are built is constantly evolving. What a lot of cities have done or some are moving towards is having a architect design a pre-approved framework for the unit and this lowers the cost for uh, owners who are wishing to to streamline the ADU process. So, for example, having the blueprints already available to them for a 800 square feet unit uh, creates an opportunity for less pu- public resources being used in reviewing the application, and also creates an opportunity for the homeowners to have a project that is pre-approved per se. Okay, I have another uh, question that I just thought of. Um, what if uh, you know there is a say a nursing home company, and instead of buying a big building and having a bunch of seniors living out of one big building, they instead want to buy a bunch of ADUs and house seniors in those dwelling units? Um, is there any restriction on like how many ADUs that a particular entity or an individual can own? Can, I mean, can they just uh, you know, go around and say, hey, we want to create like this like mini senior living community um, in everyone's backyard. You know, you know, here's your senior for the for the year. Um, <laughs> is that is that possible? Is that a reality that could happen? Yeah. So um, that kind of brings up some interesting issues. Um, so the legislature, the state law requires that local agencies allow one dwelling or I'm sorry, one ADU and one JADU, which we haven't talked about yet, on any particular parcel. Cities and counties, however, can allow more than that. That's just what the state requires those local agencies to approve. So in essence, it would depend on the community, um, whether or not you could have multiple ADUs on a single property. Um, And what's a JADU? So a JADU is a junior accessory dwelling unit. Oh, no. We were just talking about seniors. Now we're talking about juniors. I know. So an ADU is is typically detached from the primary dwelling unit, and the JADU is typically attached. And a JADU is um, a lot. The most common example is a garage conversion. So someone converts their garage into an independent dwelling unit. That's a JADU. Sometimes it's done in some other way where it's incorporated within the primary dwelling unit. Um, but so it's it's more uncommon. So that's the difference. A JADU is typically smaller and attached to the primary dwelling unit, where an ADU is typically a little bit larger and detached. Are there any other like changes to like the overall arching zoning rules for JADUs or is it just kind of like the nature of how it's attached or detached from or how it's, you know, um, connected to the other home? There's some different um, laws related to how large the city is required to allow those to be. So um, as I mentioned, JADUs are typically smaller and 
a city can restrict those to be only 50% the size of the primary dwelling unit. So you can't have a JADU that's larger than the primary dwelling right. unit. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. It's got to be junior. It has to <laughs> it be has junior. To be junior. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's the primary difference. There's one other uh, criteria where if you do have a JADU, either that unit or the primary dwelling unit has to be occupied by the property owner. Um, and so that is just feels like a little bit of a random kind of requirement or law, but one of the two have to be occupied by the owner. You can't, the owner can't rent them both. Okay. Um, well, this has been a really informative conversation, very educational. I appreciate you both uh, bringing me up to speed on on these uh, accessory dwelling units or casitas, as I will always call them. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I wish that had been the legal term. That's my that's my takeaway. Yeah. Um, but any last uh, comments from from you both? Let's go to Kevin first. Yes, Josh. The cities have the benefit of drafting their ordinances and submitting it to the Housing and Community Development Department. Uh, what's great about this is it's also an opportunity for them to develop their specific use of the ADUs, but also provides them with feedback to know that uh, their application will be approved by the state. And Jen, any takeaways for our clients? I mean, I think I would just add that um, this is an evolving area of law and even to date, this these particular laws have changed more than once. Um, so I think that, you know, what we talked about today is true today, but could certainly change. Well, thank you. That's a good segue to our outro. Uh, as always, uh, California law is changing and our agencies have to be ready for those changes. The best way to uh, stay abreast of those changes is to sign up for our firm's client news briefs and uh, listen to the Lizana Smith podcast. And you can also um, subscribe uh, to our podcast if you want to get these uh, regularly uh, and so you don't miss an episode. We encourage you also to listen or to go visit to our podcast page at lazanasmith.com forward slash podcast to find links and additional details on the topic that we discussed today. Jen, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Josh. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice. We recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard. Thank you.